Benjamins, baby. Uh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Quiet. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Like many of you, I watch with my eyes glued to the screen, looking at two developments that sat firmly atop our news feeds the downfall of the Silicon Valley Bank, and the depegging of USDC from its dollar peg. And like most of the country, I was wondering what the heck was going on and what it all means for the industry and Circle, the issuer of USDC. Well, with the crisis averted, I am now delighted to have Dante Desparte on the show for his first interview after the fact to break down the growing conundrum of financial developments forcing a more nuanced rethinking of the relationship of risk in banking and the digital asset ecosystem. Dante, thanks so much for coming back to the show. Chris Brummer, it is uh, great to be on with you once again. Um, Although, candidly, I must say, as a, a, a much more somber way of having a conversation with you than the last uh, few times I've been on. I think there's a lot of lessons uh, to be learned from this weekend with people surprisingly uh, learning more about what is a bank and bank regulation than what is a stable coin. But I think it's still important to cover the bases. Uh, Can you maybe give us a bird's eye view on Circle? Why does Circle need a bank? And why did it need a relationship with Silicon Valley Bank? Well, well, just to sort of level the playing field, in the United States, uh, Circle's payment stablecoin, USDC, which is pegged one-to-one to the U.S. dollar and backed by 20% cash and 80% short-dated U.S. treasuries managed by the Circle Reserve Fund, uh, this is a more conservative dollar-based um, operating model than our peer financial services firms. And so to be clear... In the United States, although there is much talk in the policy circles about how to regulate these innovations, in most of the rest of the world, this would be known as electronic money. And here in the United States, this is effectively electronic stored value or money transmission, which is today regulated by state supervisors. In that category, Circle is regulated um, on a level playing field to companies like PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and household names and how money moves. And so to your point, You know, typically the policy conversation about crypto and digital assets is what risks will this sector introduce to the banking system? And what we've seen not once, but now three times with, uh, you know, three banks starting with the letter S might be the the common link, um, is that in fact, the banking sector might very well be introducing risks to the digital assets economy. And candidly, over the weekend, including $3.3 billion of USDC's dollar cash reserves, that were exposed to Silicon Valley Bank. With obviously the Treasury and the Fed and the combined announcements over the weekend to stabilize these banks and make all depositors whole, including Circle, that exposure has since been eliminated. But it nonetheless does raise some serious policy questions about the need for federal legislation to once and for all uh, be answered about promoting a a whole of country level of of, uh, regulating these types of innovations. 
So, so we can get to the legislative question in, in just a second, but I just wanted to, to stick there with, with the question of, of sort of the banks and, and stable coins and their relationship with, with banks. Again, you know, you had Silicon Valley Bank. It was, it was one of your banking partners. What are the responses that you'll see on the infinite source of wisdom called Twitter uh, is that, you know, businesses should just spread their exposures around, right? You know, uh, uh, by opening up more accounts. So, you know, maybe can you explain sort of either how practical or, or easy or hard that that may be for a company like Circle? And again, you know, um, what was it like when, when choosing banking relationships? Right. Well, and again, this this is the part that I just want to really underscore that after the 2008 Dodd-Frank banking reforms, this type of exposure to banks should have been abnormal, right? That that the presumption that banks held, you know, adequate capital, the presumption that, you know, banks who have single supervisors, I might add, also were very well managed should have been an item in the rearview mirror for the US economy. And Silicon Valley Bank, for example, is not a slapdash crypto forward bank that, you know, threw caution to the wind. This was a major financial institution, um, to my understanding, more than 40 years old, essential to the innovation economy in the United States. And for people who couldn't get around to humanizing the bank's customers and ultimately its depositors, thousands and thousands of companies and therefore, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of people depended on that bank to process things like payroll and, and really run the normal course arteries of, of the American economy. And I suspect that's one of the reasons, although it was a pins and needles weekend, it was one of the reasons it took so long uh, to figure out what the federal intervention would be to stave off broader contagion. And so a circle, like any other American company and or any other, frankly, American regulated money transmission company, has a dependency on banks for the cash portion of USDC reserves number one, which which even in normal times is a very, very small percentage, but it was, again, strategically allocated across major banks. Um, one of the reasons that that is the case is those banks are transit points or transactional counterparties for wire transfers in and wire transfers out. And so you have to think of this weekend's events as not an isolated event, but rather something that began to spread contagion from banking into the digital assets economy with the collapse and ultimate FDIC receivership of um, Silvergate Bank, a major transactional bank in the digital assets economy. They had an always-on payment network called SEN that was a pretty vital transit point for money in the sector. Move over to Silicon Valley Bank, and obviously the news is still evolving. And then finally, uh, most recently, you have uh, Signature Bank, in New York was also demonstrating that there was a contagion spreading across banking that also has operating implications in digital assets. Yeah, I, I'm sure somebody will will ultimately do. The, in fact, I, I'm sure someone has already done it. But but it, it'll be interesting to see if you have a two hundred fifty thousand dollar sort of cap on a deposit, just how hard or easy it is to create multiple deposits for anyone for for, for any company. You know, across the banking system, and 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 frankly, given longstanding criticisms of how hard it is to establish a bank account, you know whether or not those narratives kind of end up clashing against one another. But I, I think a lot of people would just be a little bit curious. I mean, your average bystander, you know, uh, watching this uh, was probably uh, very 
um, surprised and 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 found this all to be maybe even a little hair raising. I think certainly given the cash uh, reserves with Silicon Valley Bank uh, that Circle had. I mean, this this weekend must have been kind of crazy. Um, and I and I really can't imagine what it what it really must have been like. I mean, what were you know the initial? What was your your first impression? I mean, when you when you saw the the, the, the problems building up i mean were you just sort of reading about it in in the media yourself i mean uh, i mean on a personal note what was this weekend like yeah well uh, well uh, candidly we we had to perform functions perhaps not dissimilar to those performs performed by the public sector and and so having just uh cleared all business exposure and exposure of usdc to um silvergate bank and, and having sort of as a company followed a flight to safety model, which already today Circle and USDC operates to the right in terms of being more conservative than what uh, the regulatory standards allow us to do with um, permissible investment rules for state money transmission. We operate to the right of that. Our chief economist wrote a paper that said our macro prudential standards are on par with uh, global systemic banks because there's no fractional reserve uh, model in USDC. It's 100% reserved. Um, and so having just dodged the Silvergate bullet, as it were, and entirely de-risked our business of that, um, we started to really look strategically over the weekend um, in, in a kind of war room environment about how to de-risk the business and principally the cash portion of the business from potential contagion in the banking sector. And sadly, that includes looking at, you know, programs that were really critical and announced on this very podcast, Chris, around, you know, community banks and partnerships with minority depository institutions. And that in the irony of ironies, the business model we wanted to expand to include more diversification of banking partners based on an underwriting review, based on trust in their creditworthiness and transparency, um, have also been recalled. We hope this is a temporary matter because at the end of the day, uh, Circle, like the rest of the companies in the U.S. regulated sector, um, ultimately are expressions in the underlying confidence and full faith and credit of the financial system in the United States. That is the piece that's been called into question with this weekend's news and obviously the contagion. And we hope that, um, you know, the, the announcements made yesterday by the combined federal prudential regulators is matched with a sense of really staving off contagion uh, more broadly in banking. Um, so what we could say today is that 100% of the dollar pegging, the dollar reserves of USDC, are guarded. They're shielded, principally because these are short-dated U.S. treasuries. Um, but it's been a pins and needles week to protect and preserve that dollar parity at all times, and then ultimately over time to begin to restore the, the transmission points, if you will, because those, those, that's the other breakage uh, that we have seen, of course, over the weekend is the operational abilities to rely on banks, even for de minimis uh, outbound transfers. We don't want to expose um, USDC deposits and or USDC related transfers to banking systems that are under such stress. And so we'll be wiser through the course of today with uh, today's open. Uh, but our operating model is to keep that one to one dollar parity at all times. One thing we did do, you know, we tried to race to the top in terms of transparency from our CEO, myself, and many others. We provided over the weekend daily broad public announcements that were matter of fact and totally transparent, including at one point saying, look, if this $3.3 billion, you know, 
exposure to Silicon Valley Bank cannot be de-risked, the company obviously would pledge its to total net worth against that uh, and making you know all coin holders whole, uh, even in the extreme. And so that was that was our sort of, uh, I don't want to call it a TARP moment, but nonetheless, it, 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 we followed the fortunes of the banking system. And, and I guess this is probably the crux, is that we talked about crypto as a sector and an innovation that would not need banks. And banks have spoken about crypto again in a manner in which the innovations would not be needed as well. But what is clear is that there's a codependency here and that the industry and the responsible innovators and others need each other in a very codependent manner. And hopefully therein, I think, lie some policy lessons and opportunities. That's really an interesting observation. I think uh, one of the real ironies here is that you see a reversal of the common assumption that digital assets uh, export risk to the banking system. Um, if anything, there's a real assumption that if something lies within uh, an established regulatory perimeter, it's essentially de-risked. And, and if it's novel, uh, its risks can be endless. But as you seem to be hinting at, here you see the importation of risk from banking into crypto. And that's got to generate, or, or at least should generate, a kind of reset or reevaluation as to how to best um, address both traditional and new risks. Uh, what do you think should be the largest takeaway as to what regulation means and where risk resides? Right. No, it's a very fair question. And as you know, I mean, my career somehow has been, at least since 2019, this, this question of uploading dollars onto the internet in a safe and sound manner. And since then, the global financial stability community, from the Bank for International Settlements to the Financial Stability Board to national authorities, have had multiple global consultations, multiple global papers. Uh, in the United States, the combined federal regulators that advise the White House, the President's Working Group on Financial Markets, have observed that there would be potential risks in this, in this sector broadly and potential risks of contagion. If, if there is one lesson from this weekend, it's perhaps that, that they were right and they were vindicated in identifying the risks, but they were perhaps a little wrong or a little too one directional in the ways in which it would flow. And so I hope as a result that, um, you know, legislation is seriously contemplated and seriously passed, um, addressing federal oversight of payment stable coins, every other serious jurisdiction around the planet has federal and whole of country payment systems activities and charters. The Europeans, for example, with the passage of the markets and crypto assets framework, have one, not, not one, but two ways of regulating this innovation at a macro prudential level. Uh, the, other, the other one is PISA with the European Central Bank, um, which allows for financial markets infrastructure, including payment stable coins, to enjoy direct um, access to the central bank, including, in our case, uh, the opportunity of having dollar custody at the Fed. One of the things we had to maintain and manage over the weekend was the, the DPEG of USDC on chain. That DPEG in its lowest point was 88 cents to the dollar. Uh, the second we issued a public pronouncement saying we would back all USDC one-to-one, uh, -one, including with corporate assets if need be, or an emergency financial backstop, the DPEG instantly went back to 98 cents. And then today is back at a dollar. And, and of course, that lender of last resort function is not a necessity if you don't have risk being imported from state supervised banks 
and in this instance, a federally supervised bank, um, import it into your business model. And that's a really critical piece of the puzzle and one of the reasons, among many, why you know federal regulation is actually critical. The regulators are calling for it. Industry is calling for it. Sadly, Congress has been slow to act, but hopefully in the spirit of not letting a good crisis go to waste, what has transpired in 2022 and what we've seen in the first quarter of this year so far really is a call to action for you know comprehensive oversight of the sector and comprehensive protections that are bi-directional to banks and to fintechs and digital asset companies in the United States. Yeah, you know, it, it really is uh, a challenge, right? Because on the one hand, you know, we've had this conversation about stablecoin legislation, and and as you said, maybe maybe you know, um, Congress can really take some lessons and, and and have some urgency in trying to think through what good stablecoin legislation should look like. You know, um, I've seen recently, you know, op eds, you know, now using this as uh, sort of an example as to why. Uh, greater regulation is needed for stablecoins. I was just reading um, the, this morning that you know one of the challenges is that basically the fact, without people really saying it explicitly, is is that there's counterparty risk, right? Like when you look at a bank, there's always counterparty risk in, ter- in the sense of its depositors, but also now you're looking at the kind of counterparty risk that a stablecoin issuer has with a bank, and then there's a larger question about whether or not um, this impacts. Uh, you know, the need for any holder of a stablecoin to have to do due diligence on their money. Um, you, you know, when you look at a holistic legislative sort of approach, you've, you've already mentioned, I guess, some 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 possible examples and, and pathways. Um, but but I, I mean, I mean, you're on the front ends of this. I mean, I, I, I talk to regulators from time to time, you know, I, I, I certainly talk and I work with a couple of companies trying to think through uh, crypto issues. But but you're really seeing this up close. I mean, do, do you predict that this will provide the kind of energy for a legislative um, solution? And and how do you measure really? I mean, like as you said, there, there's a kind of codependency and there's a counterparty. You know that you know we, we've seen before uh, stable coins that have not done too well, and now we're seeing and and have uh, exploded. Uh, Terra Luna, right? And then at the same time, now we're seeing banks that can collapse. I mean, what what kinds of things would you like to see uh, when thinking through a, a possible legislative approach? Right. Well, for one, for one, uh, you know, the the House Financial Services Committee under former Chairwoman Waters and Ranking Member Patrick McHenry, and now the gavel has obviously shifted roles, worked really, really deeply and in earnest. Um, across the, the the full 2022 in looking at digital assets very specifically, but then, you know, diving in on the stablecoin agenda. Uh, we euphemistically call it, you know, the McWaters bill. Um, and in it, it is, you know, it hasn't been aired publicly as a, as a legislative proposal. I would imagine it will change in terms of what is politically palatable and, and how regulators always try to regulate ex post facto. But nonetheless, that bill in our mind, sets up a nice pathway for America to no longer be an outlier among large economies in not having financial markets infrastructure oversight at the federal level. And it's not an indictment of state oversights, because in so many ways, the U.S. state money transmission model demonstrates the laboratories of responsible innovation in in our country, and we're better off for that optionality, and we're better off for that state oversight. However, as innovations get bigger, 
um, in our case, you know, Circle is the largest electronic stored value company in the United States. We have been pleading for the five years that USDC has been in circulation for federal oversight. Um, and at some point, we, we're ultimately looking at the federal government to, in some ways, protect our business model uh, from the likelihood that there are differences in conditions in, in either the banks themselves or in, in the, the way in which the states can sort of comprehensively review these innovations. New York has gone a very far way under Superintendent Harris in outlining a whole host of ways of managing the domain. But one of the competitiveness gaps the United States face faces is that no state supervisor or regulator has a seat at the table of global bodies like the Financial Stability Board, the Bank for International Settlements, the Financial Action Task Force. And so in a world in which I really do think we're pitted in a fierce digital currency space race and every other major central bank on the planet or major economy on the planet has payment systems, charters, experimentations with digital currencies, including publicly issued digital currencies, the gap that the United States has to fill is not uh, not anything other than being responsive to, you know, the calls from industry, the calls from consumers and the calls for having some degree of prudential oversight at the federal level. We can get into all the technicalities of what that would represent. But but one of the pieces of the puzzle is, again, central banks around the world have payment infrastructure oversight. They allow for non-banks to the provisioning of non-banks into federal, you know, central bank services or, or you know, central bank services. And we're an outlier, right? So the banks have this multi-trillion dollar implied public backstop being exercised this weekend, but non-banks do not enjoy access to the payment system, cash custody at the Fed, and so on, in which many of these risks that we've seen over the weekend wouldn't wouldn't be an issue. I, I did want to sort of circle back to this one you know, observation that you're talking about the uh, banks with the S's, you know, you, you know with, with, with Silvergate and SVP and like and Signature, you're seeing really a contraction on the number of banks that are willing to to bank with digital asset companies in the first place or, 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 or entities with any kind of tie to uh, the digital asset industry. And, and you know, I, I was wondering, you know, what's, what's your view on that? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if we're thinking about risk, right, it, it seems on the one hand, you know, uh, I, I can understand why regulators want to make sure that you don't expose banks to sort of um, segments of the of, of the financial system that can create systemic risk. But on the other hand, it appears to be that certain kinds of measures can also create concentration risk that could end up introducing uh, more systemic risk. Right. What I guess first of all, sort of objectively, are, are you are you seeing a contraction as something that's going to meaningfully impact the sector generally? And then secondly, what does that mean for circle? Right. Well, you opened with the word conundrum. And so I'm going to use it right now because I think you, you like usual, Chris, you put your finger on a very nuanced but critical issue, which is the recipe for undesirable concentration of risks in banking has already transpired. And, and it should be noted that now for more than five straight years, the United States has had an acting controller of the currency through two administrations, as opposed to a permanent set of confirmed seat. And the guidance that the banks have been receiving across the country has been um, cryptic at best about what they can do. And it has imposed implied red lines on banking the sector. 
And, and in our case, when Circle is turning to a U.S. regulated bank, we're asking that bank to take dollar deposits, not a flash drive to store in a cold wallet in a vault that implies that the bank has, you know, nation state grade cybersecurity defenses. We're asking a bank to bank dollars. Now, if an American bank cannot bank dollars safely, not just for my company and the people who depend on Circle to be a trusted counterparty, but for the entirety of the U.S. economy, it begs a really critical question about, you know, the function of banks in our society. And this is in some ways an extinction level event of small to mid-sized banks and counterparty banks that often are innovation forward or technology forward. But that doesn't necessarily need to be that they are more risk prone than alternatives. And so I do think one of the root cause issues here is there were too few banks banking too large a sector in no small measure because the cryptic guidance they were getting from federal regulators about banking was do not touch it. So I don't subscribe to this conspiracy theory of Operation Choke Point 2.0. But I do, and evidence bears out, that there has been massively cryptic guidance that amounts to redlining certain sectors. We saw it with cannabis. You see it with digital assets. You see it with a whole host of cross sections of the U.S. economy. And I hate to break it to listeners, but we're in an environment as a country and as a planet where we need to promote innovation to get ourselves through a crisis. And if you cannot rely on a sector of the economy that enjoys a taxpayer-born public backstop to bank dollars, then we have a bigger problem. And I think that's what's been revealed over the weekend's you know, federal banking interventions, is that there's a $620 billion balance sheet shortfall across banks in America. Begging again a question, is this a fox watching the chicken coop challenge where supervisors asleep at the wheel? Is there too much inherent risk in the banking sector? And it's a little too easy to make crypto a scapegoat. So with at least some of the chaos settling down and uh, <laughs> the weekend over, uh, what's next for you guys? What's what's next for Circle? Yeah, well, look, as a company, we, we will we're very deeply committed, obviously, to building uh, a, a job creating business that is regulated here inside the United States. We're committed to making this a partnership model where all ships rise. Um, in the two years since I've been here through many waves of crypto winter, many waves of crypt cryptic bank and regulatory guidance and many false starts legislatively and politically, we have been an enduring company. We remain committed to being an enduring company in the country. Uh, two years ago, we had less than 200 people employed in the firm. Today, we have 1,000 across 35 U.S. states. We're a citizen in good standing vis-a-vis -vis our state regulators and pass examinations every year. And we want to be a part of the solution, frankly. We think a full reserve digital dollar model like the one we're promoting with Circle and USDC is actually a, a, a material improvement in transparency, a material improvement in trust, and providing a type of payment solution that would not be possible if to be banked continues to ride on brick and mortar. That has been my consistent stump speech for uploading dollars onto the internet since 2019. And Circle has demonstrated that you could do that safely and soundly. Um, arguably, even at the peak of some of this bank uncertainty, you, typically USDC is the flight to safety asset. Uh, now we're in a pretty unprecedented environment of, you know, broader risks in the U.S. economy. But I think this too shall pass. And I do hope that policymakers, regulators and our legislators take the call to action that's, that, that they've been asked to by industry and by the very regulators that they have oversight over. Dante Desparte, thanks so much for joining us. You are welcome back, as always, anytime. Thank you, Chris. When news breaks, we try to fix it. 
<laughs> Indeed. I've come to understand over my years studying regulatory history and working as an advisor to digital asset firms and regulators is that ultimately humility may be the most important element of a safe and sound financial system and hubris the greatest source of systemic risk. Whether it be engineers convinced that the newest, shiniest object they've created is too good to be regulated, or regulators convinced that 100-year-old rules are too good to be updated, systemic risk too often lies in overconfidence. What I think we've seen over the last 48 hours is what happens when regulatory responses, even well-intentioned ones, can help to exacerbate some systemic risk, and where the spark, at least in this case, appears to have been the result of monetary changes that were themselves the product of the Federal Reserve's complacency for inflation and extraordinarily poor private sector risk management by a bank's CEO and senior executives, combined all in a toxic concentration of risk that just shouldn't have to happen for any legal business. Now, I'm not sure where the country is going from here, but the one policy choice that has to be demanded of both government and industry is a solid dose of humility. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.